It was April. Might have been a fine spring day. The cold of winter gone, but still you get those nice crisp mornings that are so special. A great day for a baseball game, maybe, if you were, well, back in the United States. Of course, if these men had been back in the United States, they probably would have been in college classes. Or maybe at their first job working at a local soda shop or a gas station. But instead, these men were here in Germany. They were fighting this damned war against the Nazis. Most of these men, well, boys, really, most of them were under the age of 26. They'd been fighting for the last 10 months since D-Day, since the Americans and the Allies began to take back Europe from the Nazis. The German army was finally collapsing back into Germany, but they were still fighting, and American boys were still dying. The soldiers had heard rumors going around about what the Soviets, who were on the other side fighting against the Germans on the, on the Eastern Front, the Soviets had begun running into these places. Names like Auschwitz, Sobibor, Treblinka, Ravensbrück. Stories of camps where prisoners were tortured and killed by the thousands, maybe even the millions. Now, soldiers have a tendency to exaggerate, and they know that a lot of the rumors they hear aren't true, so they were suspicious, a little bit jaded. It's true today. Soldiers hear things that aren't true a lot. And so these American boys, they doubted it until April 4th, 1945. Soldiers from the 4th Armored Division in the 89th Infantry had come upon a place called Ordruf in Germany. They saw for themselves the execution sites, the pile of corpses that the Nazis had tried, to had tried to rush and burn to cover the evidence of torture and starvation and evil done beyond belief to human bodies. Within days, other larger camps were liberated. Buchenwald, Dachau, names that still haunt us today if we know our history. These American soldiers, these young men, had been through months of brutal war. They'd seen cruelty beyond belief. They'd seen gore. They'd seen terrible things. They'd experienced the worst of humanity, and yet they still weren't prepared for what they saw these days in these camps. The story is told that General George Patton, one of the toughest men, soldiers known for his toughness, for his callousness, for his courage in battle, he was so overcome by the tour of the first camp that he vomited on the side of one of the buildings. He'd seen so many horrible things in his life, and still yet this was a set worse than anybody had ever experienced. General Eisenhower, the leader of the troops, said after touring these camps that as many American soldiers and sailors that could possibly do would be rotated, whether they were rear echelon or frontline fighting troops, they were rotated through to see these things. He said, we are told that the American soldier doesn't know what we're fighting for. At least now we know what we're fighting against. You see, he wanted them to be reminded. He wanted them to remember 
what was going on. In fact, he brought in congressmen. He brought in news people. He wanted everybody to remember what had happened, how far humanity had gone down into evil. Remember. Remember is our final point in this series that we've been going through, the As You Are series. We've finally gone through it all, and this is the wrap-up. And the message today is the remember. You see, I have this vision of what church should be that started back quite some time ago when I was in Bible college. And they made us go to an AA meeting. And I was a little bit nervous and a little bit like, what am I going to do in an AA meeting? And then I saw how the people were and how they treated each other. They were just regular people from all kinds of backgrounds, every job imaginable. And they were so welcoming when I came in. In fact, that's what they're known for, is that no matter what you are, what condition you come in, whatever you've been through, when you walk in, they say, welcome. And there's a point in time in the meeting where you stand up and say, hi, my name is Joe. And eventually, if you reach the point, you say, I'm an alcoholic. The first meeting, you don't even have to do that. And you're welcomed in. Recently, I got the opportunity to go to a Celebrate Recovery meeting. And I saw the same kind of thing. No matter who you were, you were welcomed in. And here's what happens. If you come in and you keep coming, that, that first day that you've been 24 hours sober, they give you a little coin. And here's what's funny. I have one with me. My daughter found it this morning in our church parking lot. She's like, Dad, this is what you've been talking about. We have a couple of AA groups and an uh, Overeaters Anonymous group that meet on the property here. and Found one of the little coins I've been telling you all about. 24 hours sober. It's encouragement. And then after you've been 24 hours sober, and then you go 48 hours, you get a two-day, and a five-day, and a 10-day, and I don't even know how many, but they give them to you every month after a while, and then every year, and you celebrate. I've been sober. I'm doing well. I'm doing better. I'm getting along. And you still admit, you still remember, I'm an alcoholic. I have struggles. I have struggles, too, and that remembering is important. And here's the coolest thing, my favorite part about it, and I've told you guys this all through this series, and Pastor Bernie shared it too. My favorite part is that you can be sober for decades, 20, 30 years, and something happens in your life, and you fall off the wagon. The wheels come off, and everything goes apart, and you go back to drinking, or drugs, or sex, or whatever your, your struggle was. And you can come in 24 hours later after your bender, and they say, welcome home, brother. Here's your 24-hour chip. There's no condemnation. Now, lest we get too far off and think it's all grace and happiness, they tell the truth too. Why do they tell the truth? When you're at an AA meeting, everybody in that room has been an alcoholic. Everybody in that room has struggled similarly to what the other one has done. When you go to a Celebrate Recovery meeting, they cover other things too. And there's going to be people in that room who struggle with stuff that you haven't struggled with. But they're supporting you because they know what that fight is. They know what struggle is. They know what it is to look into hell. To have lived there. And to be saved. 
that level of encouragement, that level of welcoming, that level of love. Oh, shoot, that's my vision of what church ought to be. And unfortunately, the church has kind of gotten a name for itself. Not necessarily our church, but the church overall. People outside think, what a bunch of hypocrites. What a bunch of judgy McJudgersons. Judgmental people who all they have to do is say things about my life. The problem with that is, if we've got that name, then who's going to come to us? How can we share the message of good news and hope? I had the wonderful opportunity this weekend to share the gospel with my two littlest children. And we've talked about the Bible, and they've heard sermons, and they've been to children's church and stuff. But I got to sit down this weekend, as is our habit. We go out for donuts on Saturday so my wife can sleep because she has the most of the week. She needs a break. So we're out at the very important place of donuts where all of the best evangelism happens. And we talked about Jesus. We talked about sin. We talked about love. We talked about grace. We talked about goodness. We talked about faith. Man, that's good stuff. But I got to tell them, Jesus did not come to condemn Jesus did not come to shake his finger at the world. He did not come to send the world to hell. He came to save humanity. He came to save his people. We need to remember that because sometimes we forget. The church, again, overall, the church in the world sometimes forgets that and goes straight to the condemnation, straight to the finger wagging. Instead of recognizing with grace who needs it the most, the hurting, the addicted, the broken, the struggling, the people who are facing terrible sin issues in their lives, things that have been done to them or things that they have done. In fact, that's true of all of us in some way, shape or form or another. As a pastor, I've gotten the opportunity, if not the blessing, to hear a lot of people's stories, to hear the things that they've faced, the incredible pain and loss, the physical, mental, and sexual abuse, the hurts, the struggles. And I've got to see what happens when people come to Christ. Because all of them, just like all of us, need hope, need good news. Need the good news. You see, Jesus' ministry was one of open-handed generosity and grace beyond imagining. And we're supposed to look like our teacher, as I taught you last week. Our teacher, Jesus, is one of grace and generosity, so we should look like that too. But how do we practice this ministry of grace and generosity? We remember. Remembering is so important. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 puts it this way. He says, you, 
believers, were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of error, Satan, following the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among who you once walked and lived with the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's right. Remember, we all were there once. Paul's saying, you guys got to remember, you were here. But then in verse 4, he says, but God, being rich in mercy. That's an amen moment right there. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love he had for us, even though we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the free gift of God. Not a result of work so that people may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. Therefore, remember. Remember, at one time, you, Gentiles, those that weren't God's chosen people originally, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and no God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Remember who you once were. Remember what you once dealt with. Remember that you were far from God, but now you're saved by Christ. This is not the first time God's used this theme. He reminded the Israelites regularly, several times in the Old Testament. He says, remember that you were once a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Remember that you were slaves. Remember what you went through. Remember what was done to you and what you did. But now God has redeemed you. God has welcomed them in. And God has welcomed you in. He's Congratulations. 24 hours sober. 24 hours with Jesus. And he says, because you remember this. Because he wants you to remember, anytime he says that in the Old Testament, he then follows up with something else. You shall not pervert the justice, do the traveler or the fatherless, or take the widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. And therefore I command you to do this. He says, remember, you were a slave in Egypt. Therefore, I command you, when you reap your harvest of your field and forget a little bit in the field, don't go back to get it. 
You shall leave that for the foreigner, for the fatherless, for the widow, that the Lord God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat your olive trees and you shall not go over them again, leave some there for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. And when you gather your grapes of your vineyard, don't strip it afterwards. Leave some behind. For who? The foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. And in case you didn't catch it in the beginning, he repeats as a bookend. You shall remember that you were once a slave in Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. You see, three times in the Old Testament, he specifically says, remember you were a slave. And because of that, how you treat others matters. In the New Testament, he says, remember, you were once separated from God. And because you remember that, how you treat others matters. The things that you value matter because you were once over here and now you're up here. You were once outside the house in the fields. Now you're sitting at the table with the master at his side. You were once considered worthless by the world, but now you're given the immense riches of God's mercy. How cool is that? When you read the Bible and you interpret the Bible, the first thing you do is figure out what it meant to the people then. What was being read to that group of people who were reading it, how they would understand it. Well, shoot. Don't you think the promised land was an amazing thing to those who had seen the depths of slavery? Don't you think that those Gentiles in Jesus' time, those people who were outside God's kingdom, were suddenly welcomed in? Don't you think that was beautiful and amazing? Have you experienced that? There was a time that I wasn't a believer. There was a time when I was an atheist and actually angry at believers and angry at the goofiness that I thought God was. And then there was the time that I came and realized and understood and came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I can look at this time and this time and go, wow. Well, that sucked. This is amazing. I have hope. I have grace. I have mercy poured out on me. I didn't deserve that. But Jesus Christ died for my sins and he welcomed me in with open arms. Have you experienced that? I know a lot of you have. If you haven't experienced it, man, talk to me. I would love to tell you about Jesus and tell you about the difference between this time and this time. And I can name a couple dozen other people right off the top of my head that I'd love you to talk to for the same reason. For the same reason I was telling my children this weekend about what Jesus means, what it really means. About sin on the other side, and not just sin as a list of thou shalt nots and things you shouldn't do, but recognizing sin as the imperfection and brokenness that is within us all. And that we all need Jesus. In fact, that's why I'm careful about naming off and listing off sins, because we get real hung up on that. And so do the people outside the church. They're like, oh yeah, well, which sins did I do? And pretty much all of them, actually. Pick one. And once you recognize the depth of that sin, 
That gift of grace and generosity, mercy, overflowing is such a wonderful thing. And the problem that we run into is if we've been in it long enough, sometimes we forget. Sometimes it becomes habit. I go to church every week. I sing every week. Oh, we sung that song two weeks ago, I think, or three weeks ago. Oh, the pastor said that one thing about 12 steps and that thing. He said that, man, that's been 12 times now he said that. About to move on to a new series yet? See, we get in the habit. And sometimes we forget how valuable things are. I mentioned I'm a father with my children. As a father, it's really easy to get in the habit with your kids. You're just living life day in, day out. Make sure they get their chores done. Make sure that they brush their teeth. Make sure that they go to bed on time. Make sure that they get their schoolwork done. And suddenly you blink and they've grown up on you. Anybody old enough with children to realize that? I want to value those moments. And to value those moments that I have with them, I have to remember I have to remember that joy of the first time I held my daughter. Somebody handed me little baby Abigail. And y'all seen her. She was actually once this big. I called her a little football for a while because she was about that size. And she grew up so fast that I'm going to make sure with these other two that we're going to spend every moment we can trying to do well. Because I remember For you, if you're here and you love Jesus and you know him, remember. Look back and remember where you were and where you are. One of my favorite phrases is, I'm not the man I should be, but I'm not the man that I used to be. I've grown over time. You've grown over time. If you're in Jesus, you can look back and remember and go, okay, this is where I was, and this is where I am now. And if I hold on to that, I recognize the need for others to know that beautiful joy, that grace of God. Remember that God rescued you from wherever you were. And go rescue others. Remember that God was patient with you and generous with his grace and mercy. And you go be generous with others and patient. And give them grace and mercy. And when people walk in this door, think of what they're facing. I, I, I get this one a lot because I walked in this door as an atheist. I made the joke walking in this room, huh, God hasn't struck me down yet. I hear that joke a lot from people when they come in. Kind of makes me sad, but I remember. That was me too. And I remember sitting in this room as I began attending a little bit more and a little bit more, sitting in this room and thinking, I don't know about this Christian thing. I can't be good enough. All these other people sitting around me have got everything together. Now, I believe that. I've been around long enough, been pastor long enough. I know none of you got it all together. I don't either. But when you're sitting there and you're scared and you're uncomfortable and you're unsure and you're not sure why you're here and you just feel some hole in your heart that needs to be filled somehow and not understanding it, not putting it together, it looks like everybody else has got it together but you. And that's when you desperately need 
people around this room to remember that they were once there. To welcome them in. Welcome, traveler. Here's your 24-hour chip. We should get some chips. We have to be patient with those people who come in because they're not all the way done yet. There's another common phrase. Be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. Can any of you claim that one? See, remember those soldiers back in World War II who liberated those camps, who saw the damage that can be done when one group of people hates another. All of those soldiers that came back home to the United States walked back into a country with Jim Crow laws, with the KKK, with hatred from one group of people to another. You see, they'd learned something, they'd seen something. And some of them, enough of them remembered and became seeds for what would become the civil rights movement. Not the only seeds, but part of it. To look back and go, whoa, we just fought against this great evil of a people who would kill someone else just because they look different, talk different, have a different language. And crap, we're doing the same kind of thing here. You see, that growth that comes sometimes takes time. And that's why that patience is there. And that patience comes from remembering that God had patience with you. Now, it may surprise some people in this room to learn that you're not perfect yet. It blew the heck out of me. I couldn't believe it. But to complete our series on as you are, when someone walks in this room as they are, they desperately need us to remember that once we came as we were and Jesus welcomed us in and the church welcomed us in, it's time for us now to welcome others in, to go get them. Don't just wait for them to come into this room, but to see the people in your life who desperately need that hope of Christ. To be intentional inviting them in. To be intentional at being patient with them. To be intentional at loving them even when they're hard to love. I came as I was. You came as you were. And now we need to let others come as they are. Remember. Remember.